This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. Interest rates are higher. I know people don't like that, but you should be welcoming a stronger economy. And maybe a deal had a point about the machinery of capitalism being oiled with the blood of the workers. The United States is a country that has always paid all of its bills. Lannister always pays his debts. Don't let the bastards get you. Welcome to Comedian versus Economist. We demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name's Adam and we're joined as always by my little older brother and real life economist, Thomas. Hi, Thomas. Yeah, good day, Adam. How are you going? Uh, doing well. Thank you, Thomas. I, mm-hmm. I, I just inflected older there a little bit because it was your uh, birthday yes. yesterday. So happy birthday. Yeah, thank you. Uh, for yesterday. Mm. Sorry I didn't call. I just figured we'd probably talk enough as it is. So. Yeah. No, I didn't want to overdo it. Yeah, no, that's probably the best <laughs> gift you could give me. <laughs> radio radio uh, silence. <laughs> I am happy to speak a bit louder and a bit slower, if you'd like, from now on. Although judging by the fact that you're wearing sunglasses inside at lunchtime, <laughs> I think maybe uh, you might like me to speak a bit uh, yeah. slower and a bit quieter. Yeah, a bit duller. <laughs> I, did, I did have a bender yesterday, actually. <laughs> but... It, that said, it is a particularly bright day here in the office. <laughs> Inside. <laughs> uh, very good. All right. Well, uh, let's crack on. A uh, very special show coming up for you today. There's always so much going on in the world. Well, to hell with the world. The world can wait uh, because this show is all about you. We've picked out a bunch of your questions over the last couple of weeks. Thank you for your patience. I know we've been saying that we're going to get to them, but we found that we had quite a few. Uh, so we decided to dedicate the entire show today to answering your questions. Thank you for taking the time to write to us. I know it's not exactly dipping the quill and a trip to the post office anymore, but still it is very much appreciated. Uh, this will as well be our final show for a couple of weeks as we take a break to try and survive the school holidays. Uh, so without further ado, starting with Jason and Jason sent us a message via uh, Instagram at CVE podcast. He's asking about whether the RBA might pause rates now. He said real monthly inflation is still up 0.2%. So does the RBA go further with interest rate hikes because this new inflation value falls within the RBA's happy range of 2 to 3% per annum? Uh, are they likely to pause? Thomas, interest rate announcement will be yesterday, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, uh, tomorrow for us as we record. So uh, Thomas, where mm. is, where does the RBA go from here? Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one. Markets are markets are balanced. They're they're they're, they're not sure. It's not a clear signal. CBA economists mm. reckon that the the board meeting is live. Which um, what does that mean? Well, it's not pre recorded. Not pre. Yeah. No, there was an issue with the governor lip syncing his, <laughs> his board presentations. <laughs> 
20er. <lacht> Auch Pillow. <lacht> Pillow. Ja. <lacht> yeah. I mean, lastly, yeah. the, the pyrotechnics were so good, you could kind of mm. just forgive it. But Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it means it's live in the sense like they, they will actually be discussing it. So large, like previously, it's like we're hiking, the board meets, are we still hiking? Yet we're still hiking, great. But this time, right. CBA is saying it's like, it would be a live meeting in the sense that they'll actively be just discussing it and there'll be different opinions in the room. Mm. Yeah, and it's interesting. And, what, and Jason picked out an interesting point there, which I don't know if is well understood, but we got 0.2% CPI in the month. Mm. And you can more or less annualize that by just multiplying that by 12. It's not exactly oh. just multiplying that by 12, but, it, you know, more, it's more or less. 0.2 times 12 being 2.4. So that's smack mm. bang. Smack, smack bang. Smack bang in the, in the range. In, in the, the range, range. In the happy range, as he says. Mm. Yeah. So that, mm. yeah. So it was weak at 0.2%. Markets were expecting 0.6%. Uh, big dip in the annual rate to uh, 6.8%. And you combine that with the partial indicators like prices in the NAB business survey and uh, in the PMI survey, it's looking pretty clear now that inflation peaked back in December and we're, we're on the way down. Back in December? Mm. So we're, we're late to this party. Well, you, you need a couple of months well, to, to understand wait. that you're at, Yeah, you, you only know you've hit a peak in, with the benefit of hindsight. Right, okay. So yeah, I mean, we've, had, it's, we've only had two, two falls in a row now with this headline right. CPI's lower two months in a row. So that's sort of something of a trend, but probably, you know, you combine that with the partial indicators and things like, yeah, looks like it looks like we're softening now. So, what do you what do you reckon is going to happen? To put yourself on record. <sighs> I reckon we're going to hike. I reckon they're going to hike. Right. I'm not uh, I'm not high conviction on that, but I think I think they're going to hike. I think they're going to want to see. Is some of that about the perception we talked about as well about looking strong? Like I think Jason even mentioned, you know, would they look weak if they don't continue to raise rates? Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think so. I think so. Like it, there's there's a chance now with everyone's questioning, well, how how committed is the RBA here? Mm. How 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 staunch are they going to be? Mm. There's an opportunity to come out and go like, yeah, we're staunch. We are so committed to killing inflation. <laughs> Like we don't care what else happens, <laughs> you know. There's an opportunity this month to send a really strong message, and mm. I, I, my sense is they'll take it. But yeah, it, right. but it could it could go the other way too. Equally, though, wouldn't the RBA be interested in doing the right thing as opposed to just blindly <laughs> <laughs> plowing ahead, <laughs> a la <laughs> six to twelve months ago? <laughs> yeah, um, nah. I don't so, think so don't they need some? Like, I mean, I get they need to be staunch. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure if that's their it's their yeah <laughs> motto, but. Um, <laughs> Don't they also need to be seen to be doing the right thing and being responsible and responding to changing conditions? Yes, yes, yes. But I mean, it's slowing. A bit it's slowing, but it's at six point eight percent. So right. there's there's still quite a long way from six point eight to two point five. Yeah, Chris Joy did it, had an awesome interview on the Equity Mates podcast last week, mm. and he's saying like markets are seen to be pricing in that once we break the back of inflation, it's just a straight line down to, to back to two and a half percent. Mm. And saying like that might happen, but it might also happen that inflation drops down to four and a half percent and gets stuck there, mm. where you're still above the RBA's target band, but you've, you come off the highs, but you haven't 
you're not back in the band mm. and the RBA may need to respond to that with, with another hype. Right. So, and maybe it's a case too of just making the least worst decision. Like mm. if they did pause or, you know, they're not going to cut rates, but if they did pause, that turns out to be bad, then it looks really bad later mm. on. Mm. Whereas if they just went with another 0.25, yeah, it's not yeah. great. No one's going to like it, mm. but it's kind of like, well, it's not, you know, it's not going to end badly in six months. Yeah, yeah. Or well, more, whatever. more. You look back and just be like, well, they were, they'd had it was the eleventh in a row. Mm. Maybe the last three were unnecessary. <laughs> you know, like. God, I hate economics. <laughs> <laughs> Seems so. Well, we, we overshot it by four rate rises. Like, there's no material impact to households, and everyone else who's got a mortgage just going like, what? <laughs> You accidentally did three or four too many rate rises and just accidentally cost us all thousands of dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, Thomas, next up we've got Simon and Ella. Uh, they uh, bailed you up around a campfire, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> uh, but uh, did have an interesting question which we thought was, um, was probably something that other people would want to hear about. So they're looking to buy their first house. Um, mm. and really weighing up whether they should buy now or wait. Mm. Obviously, we're not providing financial advice if you're thinking about buying a home, whether you should or you shouldn't. But, yeah, got any, any thoughts on whether now is perhaps a good time to be buying a house? Yeah. So without, without yeah, not wanting to offer financial advice at all, but mm. the things I'd be thinking about in that question right now is that um, CoreLogic data says that prices have turned. We got 0.6% rise in capital city house prices in March. Right. Because it's such a broad data set, it tends to be doesn't give you false signals too often. So the fact that mm-hmm. it's turned does suggest we're at least moving into some kind of period of of, of rising house prices, which right. has caught everyone in the market by surprise. Everyone was everyone thought we had had further to run to the downside because we had a massive a massive spike sort of during mm. COVID through the pandemic when money mm. was cheap. Yeah. So house prices went gangbusters, but then they seemed like they sort of were going to head back down again and, and did head down for a while. But you're saying mm. that's that they may, have, they may have arrested that fall a bit early. Yeah, and now bit of, I mean, yeah I think everyone was up. like probably the sort of the central forecast was for around a 15% decline off those peaks. Mm. And we probably had like a bit less than 10. So it does seem to be turning a bit early. Like, right. But there's, there's a real absence of stock in the market. So, you, can, you, you know, we have data on how many houses are available for sale right now mm. and there's not many, like basically, like it's, it's, there's sellers are holding off and we're not seeing right. any for sales yet um, that, and that's often what drives price declines is when people are like, okay, I can't, I can't carry this mortgage anymore, I need to get out. But don't we have the mortgage cliff that we're all fast approaching? Yes, yes, that's right. So, yeah, so, so the property market is often surprisingly strong. Like it's consistently outperforms expectations Mm. the 20 years I've been watching it. Um, so it might be the case that we've hit a turning point and it's just prices are on the, on the move from here. And there's, cause there is such strong demand for property and prices keep pushing higher on the downside scenario is you've got this mortgage cliff coming up where people moving from the fixed rates of like 2% that they got during COVID will be refinancing at like 6%. So that's a big mm. shift. Some of those people might be like, oh, that's too much. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bail out. I'm going to sell the property. Maybe that happens. So that's, that's on the way. We've also got Christopher Kent, who's the assistant governor of financial markets at the IBA, came out a couple of weeks ago with an interesting stat saying he reckons that so far only about one85 
percentage points of the rate hikes we've seen of the 300 odd, almost 300, has gone through into the markets. The rest is still in train because of the because of the lags. So oh, right. even though we've had close to 300 basis points of hikes, we've only, mm. the market's only felt 1.85 percentage ah. points of that. And so there's still more to come. So you've got the fixed rate cliff plus this lagged effect coming through. Um, so that's, you know, that's weighing to the downside. On top of that is Chris Joy's scenario he's talking about where inflation doesn't get back into the target band and gets stuck somewhere, you know, 4 or 5% and the RBA mm. then hikes again. And, and this has happened in the past where the RBA has started, a, has paused a hike cycle waited to see how things panned out and gone, actually, we need to, we need to hike again. Mm. There's a scenario there where that, that rate hike, the rate cliff plays out, the, the lag rate hikes finally make their way into the economy, plus we get another round of rate hikes. And in that scenario, I think it's quite you know, feasible to then see prices fall another 15% from where they are now. Wow. Yeah, so, but then how do, you, how do you balance out those two scenarios and which, which one you think is more likely? There's a lot of art in that question. And the other, thing, the other thing on the demand side is the rental market's a nightmare right now. Yeah, I was going to say, like, so it's, all, it's one thing to be considering your purchase of the house, but it's another thing to be thinking about, like, what your current... It's, a lot's going to depend on what your current situation is, like if you're renting or if you're looking for a rental as opposed to maybe you're living at home and living mm-hmm. at home is not... You don't have the same kind of the rental or rent pressures that, that you would have if you were in the rental market. So mm. probably a lot of that comes into it too, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, we've got a record surge of immigration this year. Like it's, yeah, the rental market is super tight. There's never been more people looking to get out of the rental market than there are right now. Right. You know, there's, so it's really strong demand coming from renters. And that's probably why we're not seeing those four sales. Cause like, you know, if you can't afford your mortgage payments, you can't mm. afford rent probably, you know, mm. the, you can't sell out of your pro- your home and start renting because the rental prices are just so crazy. Mm. So, yeah, so demand is really strong. We, we know that maybe there there is a scenario where prices take another leg lower, but there is also a scenario where they just, this bad, they have hit the turning point and they just sort of shuffle on up from here. Right. Well, hopefully that's useful for you, Simon Eller. I think the key takeaway there is you should just move back in with your parents. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Come on, kids. <laughs> All right, next up, we've got a question from James who sent us a message via uh, Instagram or Facebook at CVE Podcast. Uh, he was looking at uh, Phil and his cronies. Uh, <laughs> Staunch posse. <laughs> Staunch posse. <laughs> oh, I love it. Phil and his cronies had us another rate hike last week. Uh, Seen to left the door open to pause it there. This seems at odds to the position taken by the US Fed and it seems like they will continue to hike. Uh, please tell me if I've got this right. If they hike and we don't, that should affect our currency, i.e. the price of AUD is cheaper relative to the USD. If that's the case, it's a grim story for importers and might contribute in some way to inflation in Australia as many firms would rely on imported goods and services and additional costs could be passed on. Um, so he says, I guess my question is, if that's the case, how much of an impact would this have? How much do we care? Uh, James, if I could answer the second part of that question, uh, I don't care much at all. <laughs> <laughs> 
stomachs. How much do you care? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and how much of an impact would this have? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so what, it's, what we're talking about we, we, is, is the interest rate differential. That's what that's the term we call. So okay. you, you can look at like, yeah, the US has its cash rate, which then affects the interest rates on all assets in the economy. Aussie has its cash rate, which affects all assets there. So if, if there's other things being equal, if the US hikes and increases interest rates that all US assets are paying mm. and the RBA doesn't hike and doesn't increase the, the return that Aussie assets are paying, then there's more demand for US assets relative to Australian assets because they're now paying more. Right. That makes sense. So because there's more demand for US assets and you need to buy US assets with US dollars, that pushes mm. up demand for US dollars, drives down demand for Aussie dollars, uh, and as demand falls, then the price of Aussie dollars falls in US dollars. Right. The direction of what he's talking about is, is right, that if the US, you know, like if the, if the RBA hadn't hiked at all this cycle and the US had added 500 basis points, um, mm. that would have, you know, smashed the Aussie, Aussie dollar, definitely. And that does make things harder for, for, for importers and then that, that feeds through into inflation. So it is, right. it is something that the, the governor talks about from time to time. Is, they do watch the what happens with the Aussie dollar because that does impact the inflation story quite directly. So how much how much differential do you need then to, to see a difference or to see an impact? Like are we t- you say you said five hundred basis points is is that it? Like if they did five hundred basis points in rises and we did nothing, that's kind of when you'd start to see the impact. Or could we see it at, if if the RBA pauses, say on mm, tomorrow mm. or yesterday, mm. um, but the Fed keeps hiking, mm. then is that enough the, to see an impact? I think you definitely see it at 500 basis points. Mm. Where, I mean, the thing that like foreign exchange markets are very deep and very liquid mm. uh, and they're also very future leveraged. So they're, the people trade, there's, I mean, there's futures on, on currencies. There's also futures on commodities, um, which, you know, derives a lot of the, the uh foreign exchange trade. Mm. Um, and so there's a real, like the, the current, current, uh, exchange prices really reflect the collective market's view of where the future's going and what's going on and a whole bunch of other things. Um, to try and pull out some element is, is, is really hard. Like at some point you're definitely going to see it like 500 Mm. basis points for sure. You're going to see that, but you know, one or two, it's really hard to know and how big that Mm. impact is. I don't think, I, I mean, I think pro- people have probably tried to study it. I don't think when I was at the bank, I don't think I've heard of a hard and fast rule that X, X, yeah, right. X basis points translates to 10% mm. downward pressure on the Aussie or something. I never heard of a rule of thumb there's not like a big, that. There's not, there's not a big button at the RBA that someone pushes <laughs> when it <laughs> when we get to 500. <laughs> like, right, we've... <laughs> Push the button. Phil orders. Phil orders his cronies. <laughs> Push it. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. Ho- hopefully that answers your question, James. Yeah, it's a, it's a factor. How much do we care? It's it's a bit hard to know. It's a bit mm. hard to know. I, I think at the margins, it's, it doesn't affect it too much, but it's definitely part of the mix. I feel like this is a very conf- well, this is why we get into so much trouble because the markets and currency markets and whatever are all future looking. And economists are all like reverse, <laughs> like looking. backwards looking. <laughs> I feel like maybe there's some work we could do as a society to get everyone look at least looking in the same direction. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, not, I'm new at this. 
All right, why don't we take a break here, grab a quick word from this week's sponsor, and we'll be back after the break with questions from Christian, another Jason, and Kim. Look forward to talking to you right after this. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back. You're on Comedian versus Economist. We are reading your listener questions this week before we take a couple of weeks uh, holidays. Uh, so, yeah, uh, thanks for sending sending them all in. If you'd like to send us a question, you can email us, cve at equitymates.com or hit us up via Instagram and Facebook at CVE Podcast. Thomas, Christian sent us an email, cve at equitymates.com. Uh, Christian's asking, last episode you mentioned SVB, uh, Silicon Valley Bank, collapse was enabled because of Trump's policy of not insuring the smaller banks. My question is, what was this policy originally supposed to do slash prevent? Thomas, what was Trump's policy? So what happened was like after the global financial crisis, uh, there was sort of a coordinated global push to strengthen financial systems. Mm. Uh, and that meant for, for the big banks, it meant uh, increasing their capital requirements, which is sort of like the amount of liquid assets and high, quali- high quality liquid assets they have at hand to deal with some sectors of the economy falling over or certain asset classes collapsing. Uh, you get the banks to hold some liquid, high quality right. liquid assets, and that means that they can deal with the turbulence. Yeah, there was the Basel, uh, Basel three agreements or something um, mm. is what they're called, and yeah, and that meant that they had to keep keep more capital on hand. Okay. The thing that happens though with the bank is that the more capital you're required to hold to protect yourself, the less that you can lend out, and the less that you can lend out, the less money you're making right. because that's your business. You 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 make money lending money out. So if you've got to hold on to it, you you make less money. Yep. And so what happened is that. Well, the world signed off on these Basel agreements. Um, they were to be introduced for the American banking system. Uh, but then the community banks and the U.S. banking se- sector is quite unique in the sense like there's a lot more banks per person. You don't, yeah, just a large number of banks there. Mm. Um, and the community sector banks are quite strong. They have a strong political influence. And so I think... Allegedly, they sent some strippers around to Trump's house <laughs> and uh, said, right. can you not do this for us because we're going to make less money and we kind of right. like making money. Mm. And Trump went, I hear you on that. I like making mm. money too. You and can- I like strippers. And I like strippers. Thanks for the strippers. 
Um, and thanks for the money in donations. And there you go. Um, right. we're not, we're going to, we're going to, ex- we're going to carve you out. We're going to exclude you from that. So the big, big American banks had to increase their capital requirements, but the, yep. the community banks got to carve out. Right. And that's where SVB got into trouble because they were, they had lots of treasury bonds, didn't they? So they mm. were holding, they had all their capital tied up in treasury bonds, yeah, which yeah. hadn't, uh, were about halfway through their sort of maturation process. Yeah, um, yeah, and yeah. they had to then sell them at a terrible price. Yeah. I mean, I think. Chris Joy gave a great with this equity mates. Definitely recommend that one. He gave a great explanation mm. of this. But yeah, I think. But I think part of it was like there was a really easy hedge against mm. that interest rate risk that they ended up taking on that ended up sinking them. There was a really easy way to hedge it. It just was going to cost them money, and they chose to take the gamble and not right. and not buy that insurance, buy that hedging insurance. Um, but if they had been subject to the Basel requirements, they probably wouldn't have been able to do that, I think is the reading that I've, I've, I've mm. done on that. All right, another Jason sent us an email, uh, cve at equitymates.com, and uh, Jason's asking about a bank run in Australia. Uh, Thomas, do you reckon a bank run is possible, like what we've seen in the US? Uh, is that something that could happen here in Australia? It's definitely a black swan event. It's a low mm. probability outcome for sure. Uh, it's never zero probability, but right. it's pretty unlikely. I mean, part of that's with the Australian context. Like JP Morgan released the ranking of the top top capitalized banks in the world, mm. and the big four Aussie banks were the one, two, three, and four places. Right. So I think there's Australian regulatory settings are pretty pretty good on a global scale which should, should protect them. We also have the deposit guarantee scheme. So all deposits up to 250,000 in a bank are guaranteed mm. by the government, which, and that's designed to prevent a run. So people go like, well, if I've got less than 250K, I know I'm covered. I don't need to pull my money out. Might, mm. might, the government's going to bail me out. I'm, mm. I'm sweet. Um, so that protects that. We also saw with SVB that everyone got made whole. So the government stepped in and went like, doesn't matter how much, money you had with SBB, you're going to get it all back. Right. Yeah. And so I think that sends a very strong message that the government's like, we're just not going to let banks collapse. Like, mm. you know, we can we, print We learned that lesson. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really, this, this, I feel like we did really, if, if COVID was good for anything, then it was good for, you know, for printing money and our, <laughs> like just the willingness that we have now. <laughs> <laughs> Drop of a hat. Used to, I like imagine that used to, people used to sort of discuss it at length and really labour over that decision. Yeah. <laughs> now I just feel like like the meeting starts running a bit long. People yeah. are just like, well, I guess we could always just print money. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, fine. Why don't we do that? Yeah, let's uh, yeah, yeah let's shut yeah. shut it down. Get, go to lunch. Good work, everyone. Yeah, that's what the RBA is like now. It's like we, oh, we don't have any biscuits for the for the meeting. <laughs> oh, let's, just print some. Let's just print some. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So yeah, so I think it's a really low low probability outcome here. So the thing the thing with Aussie banks is they're they're highly exposed to property. They're very yeah. like on a on a global scale. They're very yeah. It's really property and daylight second. Yeah. So if there was like some cataclysmic event in the property market, that might create a bit of chaos in the bank banking system. The government yeah. would, would still probably then just step in. Yeah. But that's that's kind of where I would imagine it coming from. 
if it was to happen, but yeah, low, very low probability outcome, I imagine. I feel like Jason's angling to try and create some problems too, because he's called out a couple of banks specifically to say, like, what if we all just <laughs> took our money out of this bank? <laughs> Would it help these like some of the? I'm not going to name them, uh, but yeah, uh, I think he's just kind of after a bit of a social experiment. So just nah. see see what would happen, cause a bit of chaos. The old the old chaos monkey. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar yeah, right. with the Chaos Monkey. Um, yeah. you, the Chaos Monkey is used to test the resilience of, of certain technology systems. So Netflix, uh-huh. I think, came up with it. Netflix used to deploy the Chaos Monkey into their systems to test how well their disaster recovery and business uh-huh. continuity stuff would kick in and whether things kept kept working. So yeah, right. I think maybe Jason might be angling for a Chaos Monkey in the banking sector. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're doing your questions here on CVE this week and this one comes from Quinton who sent us a message via Instagram or Facebook at CVE Podcast. Uh, He says, I need an economist to tell me why these ideas wouldn't work. Uh, Number one, make politicians' salary the same as the median income of the country. Thus, if they want a pay rise, they need to actively force wages up. That's one uh, idea. Number two, if, what if we made politicians use public health care, public schools instead of private? Wouldn't that mean that if they want to have better health care and education for their families, they have to improve the systems? Also, what if we forced executives to cap their salaries at a percentage of their lowest paid worker, uh, say their income cannot be greater than 60% of their lowest paid employees? All right, there's a lot to unpack here. I feel mm. like we're... Uh, we're uh, we're trying to take politicians and and execs down a peg or two. I'm not sure this is this this is practically where we want to be. Thomas, mm. uh, can we make politicians' salary the same as the median income of the country? Uh, definitely possible. Yeah, we mm. could definitely do that. Yeah, uh, I like the I like the thrust of that idea. I, mm. think, I think it is good. What is the median income of the country? Do you have any idea for a full time salary? I think it's about sure. seventy five thousand. Right. What about for politicians that work three days a week? Uh, I think they're like around <laughs> two hundred to two hundred and fifty, depending on your <laughs> depending on your ministries and yeah, your, right. your roles. I think it's yeah, okay. yeah. I think it's something like that much. It's, I mean, the obvious the obvious problem I can see here is if if, if you make it seventy five thousand dollars a week to be a politician, and politicians are very broad term, right? It's everyone mm. from a backbencher through the Prime Minister. You can't mm. pay the Prime Minister of the country $75,000 a year. Like I'm all for like taking down politician salaries a little bit, <laughs> but we still need good people to run the country. <laughs> <laughs> like you need to make that. I think I think the need to make the Prime Minister as still an attractive position that people want. Mm. Otherwise... I don't know. Like you're gonna get like just people like well, it's either it's either running the country or Uber driving. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I do need, I do think you need some incentive there for people to want to do better and and be the prime minister. True, true. But you also it's kind of like also a kind of role that you don't want someone just doing it for the money. It's like, no, yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's an yeah. interesting bind. I mean, I like, I like the idea of using, forcing them to use public health care in public schools. I think that's mm. an excellent idea. I'd love to see that happen, get, get them fully <laughs> invested in the systems they're relying on. But again, like so now you've become the Prime Minister, mm. you're getting paid $75,000 a year <laughs> and you're not allowed in private hospitals. <laughs> <laughs> you need yeah. a kidney transplant and now you're on a waiting list because... <laughs> 
<laughs> so you, you need time off. You can't yeah. do your job. Well, yeah. you're getting next to nothing because you because your income insurance. <laughs> I mean, what, what we're talking about is 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 a quite a radical step towards yeah. a more egalitarian society. But hmm. also, is that not a good thing? Like like the idea that there's two streams of healthcare and that you can get you can get really good healthcare if you can pay for it, and then you can get substandard healthcare if you can't. That's mm. not a great outcome. We can do better than that. This day and age where, where we're at in economic development, we can do better than that. We don't need a two-tier health system. Mm. It's, it's, it's everywhere though. Like I was yeah. at Wet and Wild on the Gold Coast. <laughs> <laughs> we were buying tickets with the kids. You can buy an express line pass, yeah. which just like you literally, I, we didn't do it just because I, I couldn't face the line of people like walking past them. <laughs> And it was crazy expensive. It was like four hundred. Like the ticket to get in is about a hundred bucks or something. Yeah, yeah. The ticket to skip the queue was another three hundred bucks or something on top of that. But mm. it's everywhere. It's the mm. same as why should people get to fly business class just because they can afford to pay it? Like yeah, yeah, oh yeah, that's right. Like that's what I'm saying. It's it's a radical step towards mm. a more egalitarian society. But I, yeah. think, I think it's an interest. It's it's interesting to think about. And, and yeah, it's the nature of capitalism that we have. You know mm. that that private. You know you can you can accumulate more wealth, and that more wealth gets enables you to have benefits that other people don't have access to. Mm. Like you know, you put it like that. It's like, ah, oh, is that really the best we can do? Maybe it's not. Mm. Maybe I like more the executive salaries mm. to be a percentage of their lowest paid worker. That one yeah. I like. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. This is an idea. This is an idea that's been around for a while, and listed companies in the US and the UK now have to report. On their right. uh, their multiples, oh, yeah. the US average is three hundred and fifty four to one. So the the average CEO in America gets three hundred and fifty four times more money oh, than their wow. than their um their lowest paid their worker. lowest paid worker. And this wow. is the thing, like is it, like there's it's it, that's a massive multiple. You mm. survey Americans and ask them how much more money do you think your CEO is getting? They mm. typically estimate about 10, 10 times more. Right. So they massively underestimate how much more they're getting. And it's one of these things where the human ability to understand large numbers just kind of breaks down. Mm. If your frontline employee is earning 50 grand a year and your CEO is earning 18 million a year, and there'd be a mm. lot of companies in Australia where that's a reality, the CEO makes that frontline workers pay in a single day. Yeah, right. Like, yeah. like it seems like it's more, but it's like, wow, like you're earning 50 grand every day you're working. Mm. That, and that's what your frontline employee gets in a whole year. So, And you go, what did you do today? Oh, I had lunch. Had lunch. Had a, <laughs> had a three hour lunch. <laughs> I, made, I made more than my lowest paid worker at lunch. At lunch, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so there's there's a push. The Australian Shareholders Associations was pushing for this that to, that Australia should start reporting on this or make it part of their a listed company's reporting requirements to report on the multiples. Right. Uh, but it hasn't hasn't got up yet. Yeah, that, I'd like to see that. I think mm. and, and at least the reporting of it. I mm, think that would be mm. good. All right. Yeah. Finally, this week on the show, we are answering your questions, and we got an email from Kim CVE at equitymates.com. Uh, Kim wanted to thank us for delivering such a great show each week. Uh, well, thank you for tuning in, Kim. Uh, Kim did want to call Thomas out in particular for uh, his thoughts about social and environmental factors uh, in the commentary you provide, Tom. So, because Kim has been trying to put my money where my morals are when it comes to uh, to their own investing strategy and economic opinions, but find it really hard to find good people to learn from. 
so yeah, longish email, but thank you, Kim. And also, uh, I should call out too that Kim uh, said these questions are for you both, including you, Adam, because I think you're a brighter cookie than you let on. Yes, impressions can be deceiving. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Thomas, Kim's asking about if there are other commentators with a strong social and environmental awareness, such as yourself. Mm, Any, mm. Anything you can recommend? Uh, I think my favourites in the space is Professor Scott Galloway. Um, mm-hmm. He's he's amazing. I think like he's he's a he's a business school professor, um, full throated champion of capitalism, but with full awareness of the inherent contradictions within capitalism and and Mm. need to make it better. A couple of weeks ago, he wrote this epic piece on quitting um, and he's calling out all the tech billionaires for quitting society, not paying taxes and building bunkers in New Zealand and saying, that's not how we build a great country. Uh, You're a bunch of quitters and you need to (laughs) get on board. (laughs) We're going to build a, we want to build a great country. We need to build above the ground. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, so right. I'll, I'll, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. So that was a fantastic piece, and he does a weekly, weekly. Uh, he does a podcast and we- mm. weekly mail out, and it's all excellent. He's yeah, he's amazing, okay. uh, and I, I really love what what he's bringing in the Australian space. I really love Laura Tingle, um, mm-hmm. who's I think with the AFR and maybe the Seven Thirty report on the ABC. Um, I kind of love, love what she's bringing. And I think like particularly with the intersection of economics and politics, I think she's the best in the country. Definitely, yeah, right. Definitely recommend checking her out. Cool. Um, Kim also was asking about uh, whether it's possible to strike a balance between economics and finance, which focus so much on constant growth and GDP uh, and social and environmental sustainability, which requires us to stop growing exponentially. Um yeah, and, and on an individual level, does anything we do make a difference or should we just say screw it and invest in everything in guns, tobacco <laughs> and coal? Um, don't forget alcohol and gambling, Kim, <laughs> if you're building a portfolio. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, Thomas, can we find a balance between growth and the environment? Yeah, yeah. Um um, I think I like to believe the answer is yes, um, mm. but there's a lot of work to do it. And I think one of the, the things of like we've, we're kind of stuck in this debate and I kind of think there's, there's a deliberate attempt to keep us stuck in the debate about capitalism versus socialism. At a sort of basic level, like there's not a huge amount of difference in terms of I think what the, the problems that we're facing. I think the problems that we're facing are an accumulation of wealth and ability to hold um, the system accountable, to inject values into the system, you know, ecological sustainability, good governance, all of that. Capitalism doesn't naturally welcome those things in. It's naturally mm. a bit allergic to them because it's like, well, wherever you can make money, people will make money and you've got to really lean against that to stop bad outcomes happening. You know, there's a lot of industries that we outlaw, like, meth production, for example, mm. you know, at some, at some level, that's the, that's the heavy hand of government getting involved in the market and stopping the free market <laughs> doing what it wants to do. Um, but it's a very reasonable thing to do. And mm. we have to make these choices and we have to do it collectively. It's, it's, it's a challenge and we, we've got to lean against the natural tendencies in capitalism. Capitalism does some things very well. It does some things very poorly. And we need to like acknowledge that and, and lean against that. And I think the way that we do that is with collective action. You know, it's a governance problem. You know, mm. is how do we coordinate ourselves and and develop and improve our system so that we can we can do that leaning in 
And I think like what we can do at an individual level, like a, like a, you know, I'm definitely a fan of, you know, putting your money where your morals are and investing with an ethical screen and investing in companies that are doing good work. But I also think, I think there's a really important role for, for getting involved in civil society and getting involved in helping humanity with the governance issue with about mm. how do we hold, develop integral systems that do what they're designed to do that, you know, make sure everyone's getting a good deal in the story. No one's getting left behind. We're leaning against the worst excesses of capitalism, you know, and there's a, there's a lot of work to do there. Like, you know, take the issue of political donations, for example, like it's still, I, I believe in 20 years, we will look back at this era and think it was just crazy that we let wealthy people donate money to politicians and then tell them what to do mm. like that. That's kind of crazy. But that's kind of the reality we've had. This reality we've always had since feudal times. We've got to keep, you know, dragging humanity closer to that thing of, of working in the collective good and having systems that promote the, the social good. So I think, I think like if, if, you know, if you're looking for, you know, an action point, getting mm. involved in civil society and the more we get involved and get engaged, the better, you know, that, that, there's that saying like you get the leaders that you deserve. So if you get involved yeah, right. and, and, and take, get engaged in politics and, and support governance, that better governance where you can, um, mm. that's a way to create a better society. And that, but it has to be a team effort. We have to all be doing that. Yeah. No, no, well said. Um, well, there you go. So I think, yeah, if you want to legalize meth production too, then talk to your local <laughs> member. <laughs> That does us. I think we all need a couple of weeks off after that. Um, thank you so much for all of your emails that, and your uh, your messages that you sent through. I know we didn't get to all of them. Um, there, there's still a couple of more there floating around we couldn't fit in this week. But, yeah, really appreciate it. Little note for future, if, if you could try and keep them keep them nice and short because I don't like reading, <laughs> but it also makes it much easier for me to get the questions right for Thomas. But, yeah, really do appreciate it. We appreciate you guys tuning in each and every week. Uh, for us, we're off on a couple of weeks break and and we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Yeah, so good luck with the interest rates tomorrow. Hopefully, maybe we'll get a pause. Fingers crossed. But that is all for us for now. It is bye for now. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.